Let me start our teaching this week by reading Psalm 115 verses 1 through 3. It says this, Not to us, O God, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. How big is God in your eyes? I mean, not like size-wise, like he's the size of the universe or the galaxy or whatever. But I mean, how big is God in terms of what you believe him for, what you believe that he can do? Um, Maybe specifically in the life of someone you know, or even in your own life. Here in Psalm 115, the psalmist is reminding himself, he's reminding us that God is unlike any other small g God. He's not like any other man-made God. He's not like an idol that we have. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. And this, coupled with his goodness and his eternal love, makes gives us confidence to trust in him and trust in the work that he is doing and allows us to see that he can do things that are beyond even our imagination. Here in the book of Acts, we're seeing that God is at work through people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the early church is beginning to go through some hard persecution. You know, some of them are um, being beaten and put into prison. And then we saw a couple weeks ago that Stephen was even murdered. He was a martyr for the faith. He was stoned to death. And yet still, in the midst of that difficulty... In the midst of such hardship, God is at work. God is doing as he pleases. And it it just continually says God's numbers increase. God spread the, the glory of the name of Jesus grows and grows and grows. Today we come to chapter 9, which is this seismic shift again. I remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Acts chapter 2 being this seismic shift in terms of the Holy Spirit coming. Pentecost is this uh, arrival of the Holy Spirit indwelling God's people, which has changed the the world ever since it's happened. And and now we have this uh, story today, which is the conversion of the Apostle Paul, where we have another seismic shift. I mean, this is a, a... an event that has changed, obviously, the church because the Apostle Paul, um, you know, writes all kinds of letters that we still have today. He's this amazing church planter that plants churches all over the Roman world. But it's also, uh, Paul is this person who has impacted most of Western civilization. And there's a, there's a solid case that can be made that he is one of the most significant people ever to have lived. And, and Tom Holland, who's an author, he describes Paul's influence like a depth charge, right? Like a depth charge is this uh, bomb that the Navy uses to, to get submarines. So when a ship is going and there's a submarine that is uh, attacking it or nearby, they'll throw in this depth charge and it goes down into the water and it blows up. So Tom Holland is saying, man, the work of Paul didn't even fully understand it in the first centuries. It was like this deep, you know, blast. 
And over the centuries, the ripple effects have continued on and on and on. You think for, for us as a church, the, the Reformation is this huge, you know, this awakening of the truth of the gospel that Paul wrote in Romans. And even today, uh, the, the view that the West has on some of its law or on the human rights, the value of people, those truths, those are truths that Paul brought to God's people. Those are truths, truths that God used Paul to reveal. And so today we are looking at this man who was um, against the work of God is now being brought into what God is doing. And we're going to look at two things. Okay, we're going to look at two things. The first is this, is that no one is beyond the love of God. And second, that no one is beyond the fear of man. All right, so in the story that we're going to see today, we're just going to briefly kind of touch points here, briefly go over it, is that no one is beyond the love of God. And also no one is beyond this fear of man that can grip us. So when we were reading Acts chapter 8 uh, over the last week, you saw that in the beginning of Acts 8 that Paul was the leader of the um, Jewish people who were hunting down and killing Christians. And, and his role was to put an end to this movement that he calls the way. And in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 3, it says this, Paul, or sorry, but Saul, I, I keep referring to Saul and Paul. Um, both those names are used in the New Testament. Saul is his Jewish name. So it's, you know, hearkening back to the Old Testament Saul. And Paul would be his Roman name. Most of the time we refer to him as Paul because most of his work was done among Gentiles. And so he went by the name Paul. So I may go back and forth. Primarily though here it's saying Saul. It says this, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Paul was dead set on a crushing out, and it kind of shows the viciousness here that it was... It was men and women, so it didn't matter. He, he sees a woman who's a Christian. He's going to take her, put her in prison, or maybe have her killed. If it's a man, put him in prison, have him killed. Didn't matter. Just aggressively going after it. But at the same time, and we don't really see it here, but we do see it later in Scripture that Paul believed that he was on a righteous journey, that he was following the God of the Old Testament. N.T. Wright uh, talks about this, and in his uh, book, The Apostle Paul, he's done so much studying on the Apostle Paul, he says that the moment when Paul meets Christ on the road to Damascus was probably a moment where Paul was praying, where he was trying to focus in and be committed to what he believed was a righteous call to defend Judaism and to stamp out this new cult that was coming out of Judaism. And so we see that Paul, he talks about this in Philippians, how he believed he was the most qualified Pharisee there was out there. Philippians 3, 4 says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day. 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And Paul was like, I am perfectly suited to stamp out and to put an end to this Christian movement, this new thing, this new way that it's talked about here. And so I'm not sure if there's like a a comparison that comes to your mind or if there's a person that you know of in history. I just think of in our own context, you know, what would it be like if someone was um, trying to prevent us, like actively trying to prevent us citizens from starting, from gathering, they were against us putting material on YouTube or they were trying to stop us from any type of Zoom gathering or a physical gathering. Like they were dead set and they believed they were righteously working toward a good cause. This was the Apostle Paul. That's the context. That's who he was. And it is this heart in this person that God captures. And man, only God can do a work like that. And so we read in Acts 9, verse 3, it says this. Now, as they went, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, that's Paul, he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, that's Jesus, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul is going to Damascus to do more persecuting. He's going to Damascus to take more men and women, put them in prison. And it's right in that moment, Jesus meets him. Jesus comes and miraculously speaks to him. Now, we've been seeing through the book of Acts that there's all kinds of ways that God reaches in and changes the hearts of people. So we've seen uh, Peter in chapter 4 preaching the word of God and people are convinced their hearts are on fire because of the preaching of the word that Peter does. We see miracles throughout the first chapters of Acts where people see the miracle and and it confirms that Jesus is the Messiah and that the word that the disciples are preaching is the truth. We see the eunuch coming to Philip and asking questions and Philip is answering those questions and he believes through this process of questioning and, and trying to understand what does the word of God say. Later, we'll see in Acts 17 that the Apostle Paul is out there and making arguments um, with the Epicureans and the Stoics, and he is doing the work of apologetics. All these are, are different ways that God has captured the heart of someone. And, and yet, consistently, we see that there is this pattern of the Word of God being proclaimed, either preached or taught or explained and the Holy Spirit doing this work in someone's heart. The Word of God going out, and the work of the Holy Spirit partnering with that Word. And the Word of God is powerful. It's able to do things that no great orator, no great speaker could ever do. And I think it's best captured in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And this is what happened to Paul, to Saul. In his case, it was actually Jesus directly speaking to him. And we see within just a few verses the the change that happens in his life. Like a complete change in his life goes from being a hunter to being on the other side of those that he was hunting. So verse 17 says this. So Ananias departed. So God sent Ananias to speak to Saul. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now listen to this. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying that he is the son of God. You hear that? That change, a complete change in his life. He goes from fighting against this movement, to now going to the synagogue and proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I would definitely say that I still at times have this belief that some people are unreachable. I might not say it. I might not verbalize that, you know, such and such a person is unreachable, but functionally, I live that way. I've either told them about the gospel and have not gone back to it. They've, you know, they've, um, in my mind, they're kind of cold to to that message. Or I haven't even told them about what Jesus means to me and, and haven't even given them that opportunity. I think functionally uh, that they are unreachable for whatever reason. And, and maybe you've had that opportunity as well, where there's someone that you have, Uh, shared about how Christ has changed your own life, or maybe there's someone that you've shared the gospel with that you've seen no response. And so, man, you're thinking, man, they got like a cold heart. There's there's no interest there. And and that may be the case. That may be the truth. Um, But I'll tell you what, if someone had shared the gospel with Paul just days before, they would have had a wickedly cold reception. They would have had, they would have been in like big time trouble, right? Because he would have rejected it. And now he's accepting it. The word of God and Christ himself has made a difference. So no one is beyond the love of God. And we, man, we need stories like this of lives who are radically changed and lives that are, are radically different as a result of the work that Christ has done. And man, I could tell all kinds of stories of different people who have had their lives radically changed. I mean, you can think of like people like Nabil Qureshi, whose life was totally altered. Um, I even think of my own um, brother who had this, you know, in high school was kind of living his own life. And then reading the New Testament was captured by Jesus. And that can still happen. The love of God can reach anyone. But interestingly, on the other side of the story, we also have the response of the believers, the response of the Christians. And 
two times we see actually that that Jesus, the work that Christ has done, is almost missed, is almost rejected, that there is some some real hesitancy. And the the first example is Ananias, and the second example is with the disciples in Jerusalem. We're gonna mainly focus on the one the second one. The first one we see that Ananias is is sitting there and God comes to him and says, Hey Ananias, I want you to go to Saul because he is a chosen instrument of mine. And Ananias is like, What? I I don't want to be a part of that. Please find someone else. But God says, no, just go be my instrument. Go do this. And he actually does it. But he almost misses out on that moment. He's almost like, I don't want to do that. The second one here is near the end of kind of halfway through chapter 9 in verse 26. It says this. Now, this is after Saul is leaving Damascus. He's like we just read. He's been preaching in the synagogue already. And it says this, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, man, let's, let's cut the guys some slack, right? Because the disciples had heard about Saul. They knew that he was specifically hunting them down. Man, maybe they thought this was a plan for Saul to somehow infiltrate their group or I don't know. They were really worried But listen, these were the believers who multiple times earlier in Acts were praying that the Holy Spirit would give them boldness. These were the believers that were asking God for big things. Like they were asking God to do big things through them. I hope that sounds familiar because we have been praying as as a church as well for God to do like amazing things. Like here we are, this little baby church And we're saying, God, will you use us to reach our neighbors? Will you use us to reach out to to people around us in our workplaces, um, in, in the places where we find ourselves on any given day? That is what the believers were praying about. And here now, they don't even have to go. Saul is walking into their midst. Finally, though, Barnabas steps in. Verse 27 says this, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly the name of Jesus. Man, Barnabas, thank God for people like Barnabas, right? Willing to go and meet with Saul. Can you imagine that first visit where Saul Saul and Barnabas get together, sitting maybe in a market or maybe in someone's house over lunch. Um, The nerves that Barnabas would have had, probably telling himself, reminding himself, okay, God, we've been praying for boldness. Now here is Saul and they're saying he's a believer. And now you want to like use him in some way. And Barnabas steps into that moment and he brings him to the disciples and and shows the rest of the disciples that this Paul has actually met Jesus. He's actually been changed. And so, man, the fear that, that all of us face is real. Probably some of us face it more than others. We're just more prone to fear or maybe prone to being a people pleaser or we want to keep everybody happy. And others maybe are more gifted in terms of they're like an evangelist by nature. But nonetheless, most of us face different levels of fear. And so how do we 
combat that? How do we understand when that moment is before us that Barnabas faced? The moment to be bold, the moment to, to speak out, the moment to um, show someone the love of Christ and to tell someone about what Christ has done for them or to, to see what is God doing in someone's life that we might even be missing. So I just want to think of three things to kind of end our talk off here that we can put into practice uh, for our moments that come before us that God is providing. And the first is this, is to remember God. To remember who God is. That is the starting point for all of us in these situations where we're afraid. Throughout the scriptures, we are reminded to look to God and to remember who he is. So the Psalms are full of this, right? David is, is being hunted for most of the Psalms, and he is a, a fearful a follower of God. But here are things that he writes down to remind himself and to remind us. Psalm 21, 27 verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 118 verse 6 says this, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah 51 12 says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? The son of man who is made like grass. And who are we to be afraid of someone who's going to die just like, just like you and I am? Hebrews 13, 6 says this, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? All of these are verses that are meant to remind us of the greatness of God, to remember God and all that he could do. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that the, the rejection that we face, the insults that we might get, the strange looks or, or maybe in some unique circumstances even the physical pain are not real those things man they hurt and we need god's grace to even get through that but what we need probably more regularly and i know i need this often is reminders of who god is that god is stronger more powerful than anything else and he is for you and i so remember God. Secondly, listen to God. Christianity is this unique, this is a unique worldview. It's a unique uh, religion among all the other religions because God actually comes and indwells us. Not so that we become this like deified being, but he is in us and he speaks to us. So we can actually listen to God prompting us, um, encouraging us, speaking to us as he resides in this body right here and your body. And so, do you know how to listen to God? Do you know how in a moment, in a conversation, at the same time to be hearing, what is God saying to me? How do I listen to who this, uh, to what God is, is saying to me? And for some of us, that means actually creating space to hear God to listen to God, to be more quiet. All of us probably need to listen more than we speak, right? So when we're talking to people, we should be listening to what they're saying, but also at the same time, listening, training ourselves to hear the Holy Spirit. Hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. 
you know, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, um, one of our soccer, I play soccer or I used to, I'm retired now, I'm getting too old. But um, there was one soccer player who got hurt and, and he was went to the hospital. And a few weeks later, I got together with him to bring back his stuff. And in the moment, as we're like driving there, as I was driving there to meet him, um, I could feel already God saying like, man, you need to encourage this guy in some way. And so we get together, I bring him his stuff, we're talking about how he's feeling, and, and God is like pounding inside my head, why don't you pray for him? Why don't you just right here pray for him? And we're in the, the parking lot in Kitchener at the at the movie theater, we're just meeting at the parking lot there, and, and God just is like, pray for him, pray for him. And so finally I was like, hey, I'm a Christian, and uh, I believe that God can heal, and God can... Um, help people in their trouble. So can I pray for you? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. That's That'd be amazing. And so right there in the parking lot, I'm praying for him, asking God to touch him. And that was just a moment for me where I was like, I need to do this more often. I need to be have my ears open so that I can hear, so that I can listen to God when he's speaking to me. And for me, that takes practice. And so, man, I would encourage you as well, practice listening to God, listen to him. So remember God, listen to God, and finally act out in total freedom. You can act out in total freedom. Those first two should give you a foundation to stand on to say, okay, God, you want to use me. I'm your instrument. I don't know what you've got planned. I know that you can do amazing things. And so I want to act out in, in freedom, knowing that you're, you're not like clamping me down. And, and I know many people would argue and they'd be like, man, religion, Christianity, that's like a system. That's a framework. That's all just like rigid. There's no freedom in that. But the word of God says otherwise. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, being home and being totally free in God's family. This is what Romans is reminding us, that we are essentially in God's family. We can freely act now. You know how you act in when you're at home? You know, when you got your like PJs on and you're chilled and you're just like totally yourself. And sometimes when we go out and when we're with like other friends, we kind of like tamper it down a little bit. We don't want to be like totally like we are at home. Well, here Paul is saying we are in God's family. So wherever we go, we know that God is for us. God loves us. He's graciously brought us into his family. He will never take that away from us. So we act and live in total freedom because we love God and we know that he loves all people. And so we want to go there. We want to tell them about Jesus, that he can, he can change anybody's life. And so in this story, this amazing account of the Apostle Paul, we see that no one, not, the, not Saul or the Apostle Paul, no one is beyond the love of God. And we also see that none of us is beyond 
this temptation to be afraid of man. But we need to recognize, we need to remember that God is all-powerful. God is just this amazing being that we can actually listen to him and we can freely act as members of his family. So man, I just hope that's an encouragement to you today. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for these truths. Thank you for saving each one of us. You're so good to us. And we just pray that you are glorified through our lives, both today and uh, in the coming uh, weeks, Lord. And we thank you that you're gracious and loving toward us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.